please don't sit. Please don't sit. Um, going to the grocery store not too long ago, and someone actually asked me if I could read something on the top shelf for them. You know what I'm saying? That was like a day of victory for me because I never get asked to get anything from the top shelf. I'm a whopping five foot ten and one thirty second. Um, so not very tall at all, but I was doing this, and I said, here you go. Uh, I hope you're doing okay today. And she just goes, I'm not. Like, rarely do you hear someone just that direct and say that they're not doing very well. Uh, 45 seconds later or so, finally I'm able to just look at her, and I said, did, did, you just need to know you matter to God. And she tears up, and she goes, I don't think anybody's ever told me that. 58 years old. And I go, wow. So let me do this. Guess what? You matter to God. Isn't that good? That's good. You matter to God. So this is what I want you to do. You don't need to introduce yourself to anyone. All right? I just want you to look at at least two or three, maybe a hundred people, and look at them right now and tell them that they matter to God. Ready, set, go. Wonderful job. You may be seated. And I'd like to welcome you to Chapel Point. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors here. And it's just, it's a privilege. It's an honor to have you guys. I know we still have a lot of people on spring break. Um, all those heathens who went to Florida without inviting all of us. All right? Um, but we're just praying that they return safely. I know some have already told me they'll be at our first Monday night service tomorrow night because they're coming back from Florida today. And so they're going to have that opportunity. So if you know of anybody who wants to come and join us for that first Monday night service tomorrow evening, certainly would love to have them uh, tomorrow night at 630. Uh, any of you have a nickname growing up as a kid, high school, college, anything like that? Maybe you still have a nickname. If you have a nickname, raise your hand. Okay, everybody say your nickname on three. One, two, three. Um, I did not say my nickname because I have complete confidence that you would use that against me. I know our leadership in this church, and they would use it against me. Uh, you, you, you give someone a nickname because often it's what characterizes someone. Maybe it describes a physical feature of them. Also, sometimes you give someone a nickname because it may describe an attribute of that individual. I know we had one guy, his name was Trey. Uh, we called him Ewok. Return of the Jedi, you know what an Ewok is, the little short furry people. He was 5'5", five, five, and even in the middle of the summer, you thought he had a sweater on, but he didn't. Like, he was just, like, you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to describe more. Like, he would say, I look like an Ewok. And so we called him Ewok, and he loved it. He, he embraced that. And uh, you have different things. Some people who are really tall, you know, what do you call them? Too tall, something like that. Uh, it describes a characteristic. It describes something about someone, Right? And you call them out, and it's really affectionately, it's supposed to be affectionately, and you're describing who they are to you. In some ways, we see Paul doing that in the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Now, since January, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. We took off Palm Sunday, and we took off Easter but this is our last week of it. And it's just to give us a, a, a good summary and an understanding of what Paul is really doing here. This is the first of two imprisonments in Rome for Paul. It's roughly about 60 years after the birth of Christ. And he's writing to this church um, in Colossae. And he's, 
He's encouraging them. He's making sure that they don't get distracted. But he's also letting them know during this imprisonment of so many different people, numerous people, that he begins to call out their names that have really made the ministry possible that God had called him to. And he knew that that's what God was doing. And so here's some great people that are being called out who have a relationship with Paul. And remember, even to have a social um, relationship with Paul, a, a social association with him, was somewhat dangerous because it's never fun to be the guy, hey, what are you known for? Supporting the guy who's in prison. But yet these individuals did a tremendous amount to support Paul. And so here he is as a prisoner in Rome, and these are people who counted the cost of what it would be to truly be about the ministry. They counted the cost, yet they stay committed. They stayed committed to what God had called them to be about. Paul, again, he knows that this ministry could only take place because of them. These are people who are just simply indispensable in terms of what he had been called to do. He couldn't do it by himself when he knew it. God's call is always bigger than one person. And so he calls this out. And I'd like to read for you from Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. It's the word of God. It's amazing for us to dive into. So Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. I want to read through this passage, and then we're going to walk through some of it this morning. It begins with the following. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, let me start with Onesimus. Remember uh, Onesimus in the book of Philemon, all right? Uh, if you've never read an entire, I tell people, if you've never read an entire book in the Bible, read the book of Philemon. It's only 28 verses. You can do it, all right? And it's this amazing story of forgiveness, an amazing story of, of redemption, of grace. And so now he is being referenced, all right? Um, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for you to go and read that sometime this um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is justice, called justice, that these are the only men of this circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, now remember, Epaphras is the one who really helped to start the ministry there at Colossae. Um, and Paul used him and worked with him on a variety of things. Paul had not been there. Epaphras had, and he's mentioned earlier, and now he's being mentioned again. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Heropolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. As does Demas, give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archaeopas, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So here he is introducing these people at the church Colossae to some other individuals that maybe they were already familiar with, others they were not already familiar with, but yet here's Paul going, don't you understand how vital these individuals are? And he walks through some of them, right, with Onesimus, but also with Mark. Here's this guy who worked so hard to restore ministries and this fellow worker, Justice, but also this prayer warrior of Epaphras, but Luke, who was a companion with him during some pretty difficult times. Even we find Paul mentioning in Romans chapter 16 more than a dozen individuals that were crucial to the work and to the ministry that he was about. So he recognized the significance of being together. And sometimes we need to recognize the significance of being with one another and the, t- the power of a team. That's really the primary message of some of this is only a team can accomplish the mission. It's always beyond, it's always larger than, it's always greater than one individual. It's always about the team. It's about individuals coming with one another. They recognize what their purpose is. The reason this was able to happen, the reason they were able to support him through prison, the reason they were able to support the ministry is because they all had the same goal. And I can't help but to think the reason for so many churches struggling today is because they have different objectives. They have different goals. They have a different vision, yet the vision should be the same for every church, which is to glorify the name of Jesus. That's our goal. That's what we really need to be about. Our vision statement says it well, right? Hopefully you know the vision statement. Transform followers of Jesus, passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer, and equipping disciples. Say that with me if you would. Transform followers of Jesus, passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer, and equipping disciples. I didn't recognize it in the first service. I thought everybody did such an amazing job, and I didn't recognize they had put it on the screen behind me. So I know that right, now, right then you cheated, and it's okay, right? Because we just want you to read it. We want it to soak in because we know the mission. We know the vision of what God has called us to. And we want people to be transformed by Christ because without Christ, we believe that you are living an empty life. You're running toward nothingness. And we want everybody to run toward the greatness of Christ. We want everybody to know that they matter to God, whether they've ever heard that message before or not. It means that we pray for one another. It means that we encourage one another. It means that we sharpen one another. And we have an amazing team here at Chapel Point. Um, Maybe some of you will learn about our structure here at Chapel Point today. Because let me tell you about our team. We we have our staff. And our staff are are pastors and directors and ministry assistants and coordinators. Amazing people doing a great work. And we do. For our size church, we have a small staff, but we're always going to probably have a small staff. We do need to hire some others because the the majority of the people who work here, about 20 of them, are part-time. Some of them have full-time jobs even, so they, they put in a few hours a week type of thing. But... It forces us to empower, to equip the disciples. That's what it's forcing us to do. And so it goes beyond that. We also have elders. We have 10 lay elders, and the pastors are also elders. There's only two offices mentioned in Scripture, 
elders and deacons. That's all that there are. There's no other, anything else, people have made it up. That's all that you find in the word of God. And so elders are overseers. That's literally what the word means. It means they give spiritual oversight. So when our elders come together, we don't talk about whether or not we need a new copier or if we have enough paper in the office or if we need new pens to order. We don't talk about that stuff. We look at the spiritual well-being of the ministry as a whole in each area. And if it's moving toward the trajectory of our vision. And if something's not moving toward that vision in some way, some regard of being transformed followers, helping people to be transformed and to then be equipped to respond to his goodness and to have the base of that being prayer, if something's not doing that, we go, hold up here and we bring in other leaders and we go, what's going on? How is it going? How can we pray for you? How can we support it? That's what we do. And so not only do we have the staff, but we have the elders, we have deacons, we have 20 deacons right now, but soon we're about to have 30 deacons and their spouses. So it's really 30 deacon couples. So you look at, there's 60 people. You look at the staff and everything else. You're looking at probably 120, 130, including spouses of leaders that are crucial to the ministry here. But it's even bigger. You got people right now. Here's part of our team taking care of children downstairs. We have a first response team. We have ushers. And you're going, what's a first response team? We've had medical issues before. They make sure all those things are taken care of. But there's also for protection and other things. It's a different world in which we live in today, right? And so we have those individuals as well. We have people who are teaching point electives. We have point group leaders. We have People showing up during the week just to help us because we are understaffed. And so they're folding bulletins and they're helping with administrative issues and working with Cindy Heath and with Kirsten Vanderwest and others as well and making sure that those things happen. Every week, she's not here this week, she's down in, I think, Ohio, but Edwina comes in. Edwina's amazing. Here's this lady who comes to clean our kitchen every week. And I always tend to walk in and she's cleaning the kitchen and she looks right at me and she's like, don't mess up my kitchen. But if you do, I'll clean up right after you. And so I'll always throw something on the ground just to mess with her. And <laughs> I pick it up, don't worry. And because here she is, and she's so faithful and serving. And we have people breaking these chairs down. And right now it's slowing down a little bit. But sometimes these chairs, 600 of them, go up and down up to five, six times a week. Do the math. That's a lot of movement. And we have people who are staying after worship, and we need more of them, right? And they're coming during the week, Saturday nights, and they do it with a joyful heart. That's what's amazing to me about the team here, is the number of people who serve with a joyful heart. They see it as a privilege. They see it as an opportunity. We have people with men's leadership, women's ministries throughout the week that are teaching. And we already knew at one point it was at capacity. And so we had to even limit that ministry. And we have weekday workers coming in. We have sports coaches. We have facilities teams. We have audiovisual and lighting, AVL with cameras and with sound. Everything else that takes place. That's probably not even half of them. But that's the team, right? Those are the people 
that Paul is calling out because he's going, man, the ministry couldn't have happened without these guys. And so I'm sending them to you to encourage you and to pray with you and to make sure that you stay on the right path of what God has really called you to. And that's the power of what our team is about. Someone recently called me from, who's a pastor from Kentucky, and they're trying to incorporate elders, and it's with a couple of different churches. And like, what's the, what's the real purpose of elders? And I'm telling them what the real purpose is. And they say, well, what else is there to it? And I say, well, honestly, it gives me amazing courage and confidence and strength to have all of these leaders not standing behind me, but standing beside me. Because what you're doing when you're playing on the team together, you're creating a much larger wake. Paul knew that was happening. Remember, Colossae, right? Ephesus even, other places. This was not right around Jerusalem. It was an, a tremendous journey to go there. God was doing something that Paul could not do it on his own because of the team that God had set up together to move his ministry forward. If our ministry is simply to make sure a couple of our neighbors hear about Jesus, then we don't have a big enough ministry. If your ministry that God has called you to is simply making sure that your kids graduate hopefully one day, taking no more than nine years to graduate from college, then it's too small of a vision. Because God is calling us to something so much more. And it takes a team to be able to do it. And Paul, he's calling these individuals out. And one of the questions that it begs is, what is your purpose? What is the mission that God has called you to? Because Paul identified it, and that was to spread the gospel as much as he could into different parts and to allow that to become a fabric woven into the culture, part of the fabric that was going to dictate business and other elements of society. And that's what he was wanting to do. And so what is your purpose that God has given to you? And, you know, you've heard this before. If, it doesn't, if God is not required to accomplish your vision for life, your vision is way too small. Are you only trying to do what's safe for you? Church, I don't care what your vision is. It's not going to scare God. Here's, here's God's vision. I'm going to change all of humanity forevermore. Your vision is not too big for God. Part of our vision is to be able to continue to grow here with mature believers. Right? Here's the type of church it is. We're, we're, we're seeing it as a church that, man, people who really want to be devoted, really want to know the gospel, really want to know truth, and to, to be equipped to do ministry every single part of their life in their families and in their businesses. Those are the people who are going to come and then the people who have no idea who God is. But the people who just want to show up here and there and kind of be a part of something, they're going to struggle here. But the ones who don't know God and just have a lot of questions, that's why in May we're doing a series called Real. Is God real? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really Messiah? Is, is the Bible actually real? We're going to do a series on that because we, we want to help people understand truth. But it's going to be that type of church where we're trying to reach those individuals as much as we can. And we want to partner with other churches. We want to partner with other churches that maybe are even struggling and hurting. And then we, we can join together in promoting the name of Jesus. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's what God has called us to. And God never calls us to do something that's God-sized alone. 
That's not what he intends. It doesn't mean that sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but that's not his purpose. He's given us community for a reason. And one of the things that I've discovered is many people today, they won't let anybody else join with them in the mission that God has called them to. You keep people at arm's length. And, and, and maybe you're someone who says, you know, I'm afraid to share what that is. But yet, you know what? If you're struggling in your marriage and you come to a brother or sister in Christ, they get to join you in the very least by praying for you. There, and we believe that prayer is power because you're communicating with the Almighty God. We need to stop saying, well, I could at least pray as though it's the least of the things you can do. It's the greatest thing you can do. And so you need to let people know about that. And sometimes we're like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not too sure about wanting to tell people about that. Or maybe your vision is at work and you're going, well, how are you going to help me at work? Let me know the person that God has put on your heart so I can pray for them and pray with you about God giving you those opportunities to share what he's done in your life. And not to do it half-heartedly. It tells us in Colossians chapter 3 not to do anything by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but to do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He also tells us in Colossians to do, and we've preached on this several weeks ago, but he tells us to do everything with excellence is what, he, is what he's communicating. He says, whatever you do, work heartedly at it as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In everything that you're doing, he's saying you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so partner Here's the message, is join the team, partner with us, so that we can move together toward helping to change a community. He tells us in Colossians chapter 4 at the very end, one of the last verses, verse 17, he says, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Start strong, stay strong, finish strong. We say that a lot in our house, right? Every semester starts. Um, I have several kids. I have one in every single grade. That's what it feels like. And, it, and the message is start strong, stay strong, finish strong. Because in everything you are to reflect Christ. And what happens is you end up recognizing that the purpose of what God has called you to is greater than what you possibly could have known previously. You matter to God. And God's calling us to do something far greater than what we could do alone. Don't you understand that we can't do it without one another? So what I'd like to do, very quickly, I'm not, I've only got a few minutes to do this. Um, I want to talk about just some brief ways. You see it there, you can fill in some blanks that we can better understand the ministry that God has called us to because some of us cannot articulate that. And some of us need to learn, you know, one of the things that we learn from Colossians is that we need to what? Widen our what? Our stance, our spiritual stance. We need to widen it because we're being pushed over too easily because our stance isn't wide enough and we need to learn what it is to widen our stance and to be able to do that together I mean that's what this team means to me here as we have been very intentional about growing the core leadership and growing the significance of what that means for us to so many individuals all it's done is strengthen our stance and it's allowing us to make decisions and to do things that we simply would have been too scared to do otherwise. 
right? It, it, it's things like this. Hey, why don't we build a new facility? And we'll go, well, because we just paid off the debt here, and it'd be really comfortable just to kind of sit where we are. You know, at the time, we had 900 people showing up. That's enough people. We don't really need any more people. That's good. The average church is only 70. Can we just sit and be normal? But because of all the leaders going, yes, we can do that, not only did it say, yes, you can build, and now uh, we're starting a third service tomorrow, but at the same time, it gave us the courage to go, you know what? I know that we're building, but we're supposed to increase our missions another 2% as well. I had a couple of people come to me and go, are you sure? Because I've done the math. And I say, yeah, the leadership's prayed about it. And yeah. I mean, just with the new facility, what it's led to is us witnessing the movement of God. We've already written checks for almost a million dollars, and we haven't taken any money from a bank. Praise be to God. And what we see is 20 more adults coming into membership right now that we'll be affirming next week. And we see baptisms happening over and over because people are joining the team. So here's, the thing, here's a few things that you need to do to recognize what God's mission is in your own life, your purpose, and what it looks like to maybe even partner with us. One is this, to widen your spiritual stance, you need to recognize that you are loved by God. That's what Easter is all about. You matter to God. And you may not feel that you matter to anybody else, but you do. You matter to the creator the author, the perfecter of life. You matter to God. Another thing you need to do is you need to be daily transformed by God. That's part of our vision statement. We believe transformation is constant. It's continual. It's not a one-time thing where you came to know Christ 45 years ago and you're pretty much the same person. It's a constant movement. Kids, if there are any kids in here, I'd love for you to go to your parents today and say, what's God teaching you right now? Right? And they need to know what that is. My youngest son did that to me not too long ago because I talk about it all the time. He goes, well, Dad, what's, what's God teaching you, Dad? And I go, oh, he's all kinds of stuff. And I start walking away, and I go, oh, I need to come back to that. And I said, let me tell you what God's teaching. And I said, well, God, what's God teaching you? I really like Cheerios. <laughs> so the spiritual depth is not there yet, but it's coming. And we need to be able to process how God is transforming us every single day. Third, discover God has more for you. That's Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. We talk about the campaign and everything else. But God does have more for your life than what you're living so often. God has more. Because it's not about the temporary, it's about the eternal. Another thing is Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 lets us know that if we're really purposeful, we'll bear fruit. You will bear fruit in your life, not only the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness and kindness and self-control and so many other wonderful attributes, but you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear Christ in the decisions that you're making and the way that you're choosing to be a part of family, this family. Why? Because we know that the average person in the church, we know that nearly half of people who go to church today, they don't give a dime. We know that nearly half of people who go to church today, those same people, they don't serve in any capacity whatsoever. And yet we also know that they're often the most critical. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? My friend, Pastor Jim, who serves with us here, he says, if you're busy rowing the boat, you don't have any energy to speak against the boat. 
We need to be reconciled to God, a fifth thing. Colossians chapter 1 talks about it because really Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 is letting us know. He's reminding us, guys, everything must be about Jesus, not about you. That's the letter that he's writing from prison to Colossae is that it must be about Jesus. And then finally, one of the ways that you can better discover your purpose is just join the team. Join something bigger than yourself. Know that those are opportunities that you have. God has more in store for you. And so here's Paul, and he's writing about all these amazing people who made the ministry possible. And I'm telling you now that what God is calling us to is bigger than we know, but we can't do it without you. We can't. We cannot. God created us to live life together. He did not intend for you to live life alone. He created us to live with brothers and sisters in Christ as his family running toward him. How is God wanting for you to join that movement? I want to pray with you guys. That you would have the courage, just as so often I find courage to make decisions in my own life because of the team that is with me and that I get to serve amongst together. I'm going to pray that you find maybe the courage to lead your family in a way you've never led it before. Or, or to possibly even make commitment to serve in a way you've never served before, but yet you know God's called you to it. Guys, if you're going, well, I don't even know how to serve. We've got discovery classes. Look it up. And you can discover your spiritual gifts. If you really want to find fulfillment, start serving through your gifts and you'll find a purpose in life that is beautiful. Because you'll be using the very skills that God has blessed you with to serve something greater than yourself. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done and how you allow us to be committed to you. So many people, God, today are living life alone. And they've yet to discover the joy of serving and living life with others. Sharing in the hardships and the difficulties, but also the joys. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would allow us to move forward, to step forward in committing to you. Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to take a card out. There's a card there for you that was put in your bulletin. If you would take that out right now. And we're about to transition this service. You're going, wow, he preached short today. Um, Well, it's coming back next week. Um, Get that card out if you would. And we're going to invite you to write down the name of a business, possibly a school, a person, a neighbor, whatever it is, a, a a portion of the government, what, it doesn't matter what it is, that you think God is wanting us to reach, not only with this, this new facility, we need the space, but with what God is calling us to. So we're going to invite you to write that, that card down right now. Go ahead and write on it. Pass pens around, whatever you need to do. Write that person's name, whoever it is. I know some of you may not do it right now and you, need it, you want to go and you want to pray about it. That's okay. But take the card and I want you to put it in your Bible and I want you to keep it with you. And I want you to keep praying because as God is, is 
tilling new soil here, right? This was supposed to be a groundbreaking today. Ground, if you can't tell, has been broke, right? But there's no way I was going to speak to our friends and say, oh, I'll just wait a few weeks. No, because we know that we could have a blizzard next week. And so you got to get ahead of the game. But be praying for that person, that neighbor, that business right now. We're trying to hit businesses. We're trying to hire a community impact pastor right now to help us get into businesses and in schools like never before. Here's part of the vision of what God's called us to is literally 40 or 50 people, if not 75 or 100, who are mentoring in our schools to show the love of Jesus Christ. One of the goals is in the next two years to have 50 couples trained in being mentors in marriages. At least 50. So that anybody who comes and they're getting married here, they're going to have a couple automatically given to them to mentor them on a monthly basis, if not even bi-weekly, for the first two years of their marriage. To give them the very best possibility of starting strong in the name of Jesus Christ so that they can finish life strong and glorifying the name of Christ. And it's working. We're, I have a dream of working with the government. And I know you're going, the government hates churches. Jesus says, love your enemies. I don't care who it is. We want to reach them with the gospel. So how can we do that? I mean, that's the stuff we're looking at. And we have the courage to say it because we get to do it with one another. And so what we're going to ask is we're going to spend just a few minutes outside. Um, It's a sunny, beautiful, summer-like day here in Michigan. And so we're going to ask that you walk straight out the double doors. Please don't go down by the nursery because of the children and their safety features, everything in place. I mentioned first response before. They will tackle you. And so we're going to ask that you go out the double doors and take a right. And there are going to be ushers and others out there to show you exactly where to go. And we're going to have an opportunity for something very special. And I'll just take a few minutes. But right now, let's stand together. Throw on your coat. Head out those doors. Take a right. And I'll see you in just a few minutes.